to Nostalgia Ranks. We're back. And uh, Dave, my trusty co-host, is here to rank, along with me, Pat Sheehan, the other co-host of this podcast, the discography of The Weeknd, an artist that we have talked about a few times uh, over the course of the podcast life, going a little bit more in-depth on some albums that we have uh, not had a chance to review based on the fact that we were not even a podcast when a lot of these came out. Um, <laughs> so I'm excited to get to that. But Dave, I just, just wanted to kind of start off to see like how you're doing today. Are you ready to talk about Abel? Yeah, very exciting. You know, he's uh, obviously been around, been very mainstream for such a long time, but that also means there's a lot of things to discuss. He has a quite the deep catalog and it is interesting to think about the various eras, the various iterations of the weekend, because there are a few. But um, also, why, there's no better time to discuss him than now. He is one of, if not the very biggest uh, pop star we have right now. He, right now, he's, I think, what, number three on Spotify monthly listeners, over 75 million right now, just in several months out, off his last album, you know, and just two years not even removed from a Super Bowl halftime show performance about to embark on his first stadium tour. Like he's at the absolute peak of his power. So why not discuss the the, the run to this point? Yeah, we, we just talked about um, Dawn FM came back. It came out back in uh, January, February now, man. January. It seems like to be flying week, by. Second week of January. And, uh, you know, obviously before that reviewed after hours, an album that uh, I think we'll get into some of the, the i don't know if it's controversy necessary but some of the you know things that happened regarding the album afterwards and specifically Mm. regarding how it was received or lauded by critics and by certain (laughs) award ceremonies but uh yeah i think you you summed it up pretty well uh abel tesfe goes from being this kind of like (laughs) i don't even know like how to describe it almost like a folk like a folklore yep. type person when he first dropped these these mixtapes on the internet uh to being the biggest uh, pop star in the world uh, amazing trajectory of his, of his career for sure yeah well i think the parallel between him and his other fellow superstar from toronto drake is that their paths to superstardom are very different even though they are linked no one knew who the weekend was when it really started get go- getting going. He was kind of keeping anonymous, and he also wasn't really performing, which I think is probably the most interesting thing of all. But also, you know, the weekend wasn't an actor on Degrassi before he became a rapper like Drake. The weekend was was fucking homeless, you know, and and, and doing a lot of drugs and really uh, having a tough time. Uh, right around the time he started you know, kicking off his music career in like 09, 2010 time. Uh, that's very different. And I, honestly, the reason he got on people's radar, and I, I came into him a little later than this, but the reason he got onto people's radar was because of Drake just kind of posting his music on the OVO blog. And, you know, as a fellow Toronto artist, and that led to it getting picked up elsewhere, like on Pitchfork. And then next thing you know, the internet buzz is ablaze. And House of Balloons comes out in March 2011, but it was a very anonymous and old school rise, to, to be honest. Yeah, and before we go into talking about House of Balloons, that first mixtape you mentioned, 
you 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 talked about how you, you kind of came to it a little bit later um when, when did you first start listening to weekend do you remember yeah that's a good question i think i was aware of all the mixtape the you know the trilogy mixtape run throughout 2011 i was aware of that i was aware of the internet uh love because at that time drake was really big you know on the weekend bigging him up OVOXO was a huge thing you can look up all the drake tweets they're still there you know i i was aware of that and then i i, I think though i didn't really ch- listen to it all that much until i heard the weekend featured on crew love on take care drake's second album and then that obviously was a huge co-sign a huge moment for him and kind of pointing me back just because like i'm not, not like the biggest r&b fan so I wasn't necessarily looking for hot new genre changing r&b music the way people were talking about his mixtapes but i was definitely aware of it just i think really because of the drake uh orbit yeah that that makes sense you know i have like very distinct memories of sitting in uh new hall at siena college like listening to some of the tracks off of trilogy which i hadn't I wasn't tuned into the uh, the out the mixtape drops back in uh, eleven, but trilogy when they released the whole thing in twenty twelve. Probably I listened to this like early twenty thirteen, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember listening to a few of the tracks and just like immediately being like, "Wow!" Especially House of Blues, which we're going to talk about in a second. Just some of those tracks are just so unique sounding, especially mm-hmm. for the time, and um, uh, it just immediately grab grabs you when you listen to it so uh, i remember listening to it then but in thinking about my fandom of uh the weekend i'm i'm trying i mean i really had a fall off there i I think uh i really wasn't a super big fan through the um like beauty behind the madness like come up and whatnot i think i really started Mm -hmm. getting back into him as we started doing the podcast and i was like well this feels like a bit of a blind spot. I should probably be a little bit more tuned in to this artist who just seems to be kind of popping up more and more. And obviously, as we talked about some of the, the more recent albums, it made more sense to really be listening to him also because the music just was leveling up after a bit of a lull. So mm-hmm. we'll go a little bit more in depth with, with it. But yeah, t- talk to me about your first time listening to uh, House of Balloons, the mixtape. Did you listen to it in and of itself or was it part of the trilogy for you? Right, yeah. So he released House of Balloons March 11, Thursday, August 11, Echoes of Silence, December 11. And then it gets remixed and remastered and re-released as Trilogy in November 2012 after he had signed to Republic. I think it was the re-release that I listened to. And obviously that's like, that's pre-Spotify. You had to... uh buy that or, or yeah. find that and that's how i that's how i listen to it but yeah it definitely it, it's definitely the end of 2011 time at the earliest just because it had to have been after take care and take care was the end of 2011 as well before echoes came out so um and then it wasn't really too long after where he started having more features in hip-hop he was on the Wiz album obviously it was all over take care you know and then the lead up to kiss land ultimately didn't land the way it should have but uh, the weekend feature featuring was starting to pop up and again all the drake orbit before they started to have like a bit of a cold war so yeah it had to be sometime around the re-release i think so yeah dave you mentioned that you were kind of tuning into the weekend around 2011 probably listening to it in the compilation do you remember like what your reaction was listening to these mixtapes for the first time 
Yeah, it's just definitely different. Uh, it just stood out for being something new, you know, R&B, but not, not Chris Brown, not Trey Songs, <laughs> not the other contemporaries of the 2010s R&B scene, you know, kind of different from R&B now where you have, uh, we're really driven by, you know, a bunch of female stars right these days. Back then, uh, kind of a different different time, but the weekend was rapidly changing the time just the way Drake was rapidly changing out hip hop and, and greater pop music was moving too. And even though the weekend was not yet a pop force, uh, it wasn't long before the army influence was heard everywhere else. So yeah, I think I was just taken with um, just, just how, you know, out there it, uh, it felt, but in a good way, obviously the explicit nature of his lyricism also is obvious standout because it's very easy to notice. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, you mentioned the other, uh, like, artists during that time, you know, Trey Songs, uh, Chris Brown. Um, and, you know, the, the songs that kind of come to mind when you think about R&B from that time are these, like, really, like, kind of cheesy, tuned up, like, love songs. And then, you know, you, you turn on you House of Balloons, and you have High for This as the first track with this, like, creepy, eerie, like, 30-second lead-in. And then this very like desolate sounding beat and this, uh, you know, crooner just kind of singing at this high pitch and you're like, Oh, this is something different. And like you talked about, like the, uh, uh, uh lyrics, uh, the <laughs> subject matter for these, mm. uh, definitely a bit more adult than a lot of those, like more pop sounding R and B songs were. And yeah, I, I think that's the reaction. A lot of people have listening to this for the first time is this is not, what what r&b was during this time but it was a really welcome change i think right yeah then i mean let, let's not forget that it wasn't soon before frank ocean is also pushing r&b in another direction as well so you're really at an inflection point with the weekend and frank i think coming out around the same time and, and drake as well but um yeah i mean house of balloons still really holds up to this day i think there's really no no argument about it i had it on my best albums of the 2010s list go check that out youtube.com slash nostalgia pod it's just a really seminal piece of work but also really fun to pick pick out songs from there's a lot of really memorable stuff lest we forget the weekend played uh was it glass table girls during the super bowl set if i remember right uh yeah i think so right i mean he he didn't play any kiss land tracks <laughs> he didn't even <laughs> play anything from the other two tapes but he he made room for house of balloons even though Honestly, probably most of his fans, because he's so famous now, probably never even listen to this, to be honest. But hey, it's there when you want it. Obviously, Spotify yeah. has made things so easier. It didn't used to be quite as accessible. Um, but now now it is. And I mean, I think just songs like you mentioned High for this really kicking off well, but I think Glass Table Girls, The Morning, Back to Back, Wicked Games, and then The Party and the After Party. You're just getting a lot of memorable samples, but just yeah. There's a lot of like classic textbook first era weekend uh, from the, from the lyrics. Yeah, you know, you mentioned um, Wicked Games is one of them. I think Wicked Games is uh, a clear standout listening back, and it's funny because I feel like if you, depending on the day you kind of catch it, you could be looking for something different on this. Like House of Balloons, Glass Table Girls is probably the track I come back to as probably my favorite weekend track to this point. Um, and that's, you know, obviously including some of the mm -hmm. more recent albums that were, we loved a lot of the tracks off it, but that, that 
flip in the middle and just like how it really it embodies this feeling of this like night out this coked out like night where it just kind of drags on forever I means like a, almost an eight minute song and then you kind of go to the morning as the next track and it's like such a more upbeat <laughs> sounding track and really feels almost like mm. the sun's coming out after this like night out and I think that's the thing that I really appreciate about the weekend and listening through the discography, working through it for this podcast, you just kind of appreciate how he goes into almost all of these albums, or at least the ones that really hit with this conception of what he really wants them to sound like, what he's trying to convey, how he wants you to feel listening to them. And the one, the albums that I think are best are the ones where he goes in with something that he's trying to get across Mm -hmm. the ones where he doesn't, uh, necessarily hit as much are a bit more um it seemed a little bit less concise to me yeah yeah i agree but yeah i mean also Um, shout out the happy house sample on glass table girls really choice obviously Susie and the banshees and we also get a beach house sample on um what we on uh the party and the after party correct Um, yeah really really choice shit right there so totally he mentioned that uh just a short what six months later five months later we get thursday the next mixtape and i I wouldn't say it is as seminal as um you know house balloons is but i do think that it's a nice like follow-up because i don't know if i would say that there's any like bad songs on any of these three mixtapes but there's definitely somewhere I don't know if what he was going for totally worked for me um, mm-hmm. or if they necessarily hit the same way that a lot of the ones from House of Balloons do. Did you feel the same way about Thursday? Yeah, I mean, I think it's consensus that House of Balloons is the best of the three. And I think more than anything, admiration for this time is really admiration for this whole run, this whole year that The weekend had and also the excitement that was accompanying it because he was such an unknown and was not and was keeping that identity more or less unknown as well. I think all of that kind of boils in. Oh yeah. He drops three mixtapes in less than a year. And all of a sudden he's all over the Drake album too. And like, we don't really even know who this guy is like that the whole year, the 2011 for the weekend, is just so big that I think that's kind of where all the admiration goes. And if you try and like piecemeal out, it's like, yeah, like Thursday, I love the cover um yeah but yeah i mean i think there's just a there's just a few less songs to take away is all i really my favorite song off this is life of the party track two but um i think the the birds part one and two also have some memorable uh moments and then uh also was it um heaven or las vegas the last track has like guitars for the first time on any of his music yeah you know it, it, listening to this one i think that those first couple songs stand out a lot more than the last like two or two or three do uh rolling stone didn't really hit for me and heaven or las vegas while the guitars definitely sounded different i also didn't really vibe with that one as, as well i agree life of the party just that the, the production on that is so like menacing and then like worrying it's it's really impressive and uh i also really liked um, the zone and the birds part two off this one um but yeah, that just kind of keeping that same like druggy, narcotic filled, uh, sex filled uh, themes kind of going and definitely feels like a, a pure follow up to this. Um, it, it, you know, for you, was there like one track that you like when, when it came on, you were like, oh, I don't know if this one really fits for what the weekend was going for uh, on these. 
Yeah, I don't know if anything comes to mind. Why? Did you have something specific? You know, I I think for me, it's kind of the birds part one. While I don't mm. hate the song, it has that like marching band, you yes. know, on it. It's very noticeable. Kind of, and it, it just is so like, that just feels so out of nowhere. Um, maybe uh, a little reminiscent of some, some things to come on some other albums. But when we keep it moving and finish up the mixtapes, move on to Echoes of Silence, which, well, as you already kind of mentioned, dropped in December of 2011. Uh, I think we're like right near the end of the year. And um, yep, December yeah, December 21st, of silence. like a yeah. month after Take Care. I think that's the most important thing. This is the first post Take Care weekend drop. People were were aware and were looking for some weekend stuff. Do you feel like Echoes of the Silence delivered? Yeah, I think it's my least favorite of the three. But it's like it's like not for a lack of trying. You know, I like um, my favorite track of this is Imitation. And I think the fall is pretty memorable. That's kind of like an early like motif for this time, this weekend era. We'll reference that later. Um, I like same old song, even though the Juicy J part's kind of random. And then, of course, track one is just a Dirty Diana, Michael Jackson cover. Lest we forget the Michael Jackson comparisons were not uh, starting with Beauty Behind the Madness and Can't Feel My Face, but much sooner, in fact. Yeah, you know, listening in totality, I think this is a nice listen, but I think the tracks definitely aren't as strong as the first two for me. Although I did, I do like Montreal a lot off this. I also like Exo the Host. Yeah, but I don't know if I, I would say I dislike any of these. Echoes of the Silence, the final track, might be the one I, I'm just kind of like, ah, well, I'm ready to like turn this off by now because it's yeah. a little like slow and he's really going for something there. But overall, like, uh, don't hate it and you know I, I, have you ever listened to trilogy straight through have you listened to like the three hours of it all no it's obviously not it's too long <laughs> it's so long but like i feel like if you like really sat down like engage with it there's probably something more to like these yeah. how these three albums interplay together it's just it's a lot to it, i'm sure it fits well as like a shuffled playlist you know yeah to be honest but no no i um i would never subject myself to such a long listen no matter who it is <laughs> Yeah, as you know, in this day and age, the shorter the better for us. So, um, <laughs> Any last thoughts on, on these three mixtapes? Are you ready to get into the albums? Now we can go to the albums. I think this is a really important time. So his debut album, Kissland, comes out in September 2013. However, that's still almost two years from when Echoes comes out at the end of 2011. As I said, the weekend's all over Take Care. Feature on Crew Love as well as the co-write. Then there's also four other songs that The Weeknd has co-writing credits on. So five songs total. Those songs that were on Take Care, Drake basically took from The Weeknd. Those are The Weeknd tracks that he had been made for House of Balloons and the other tapes. Really House of Balloons. And uh, The Weeknd was happy to give them to Drake. And Drake really increased The Weeknd's profile. So all things considered, I don't think they would change anything. However, you know, the OVO EXO thing, Drake tried to sign the weekend to OVO. EXO did exist when all the mixtapes got released as just like a, a brand that the weekend had created with some Toronto music executives. However, the weekend didn't sign with Drake, most famously. He signed with Republic Records in the end of 2012. EXO becomes an official label imprint. Of, of Republic, and then Trilogy gets re-released and remastered under Republic. 
in 20 end of 2012 and at this point like i remember this happening and it was like it was like the weekend spurn strike you know toronto beef and they never actually beefed about anything and they the hat any potential hatchet has long since been buried for we can point out the times when that that happened but it was just very interesting to see how all that went down you know because drake Drake really wanted this, you know, and and it's really funny to see how this didn't happen because the OVO boot camp stuff that that would come with artists like Majid Jordan and McConan and other people signed to OVO. The weekend, you know, whether he lucked out, whether he took his career into his own hands, however it really went down, he was able to eventually rival Drake and in certain senses uh, surpass him on the global stage. And that's this is really when that starts. The funny thing about it, of course, is that his debut album, September 2013, is Kissland. And uh, despite positive reception at the time, nobody fucking likes Kissland. Yeah, Kissland, uh, you know, it, it's hard to say because I think in, in general, as an album, it, it's, it's solid. Like, it's fine. Um, I don't know if there's any tracks on here that I'm like, Oh, that's just really terrible. But I'm also like, mm-hmm. there's not many tracks that really pop off and really grab you. And, you know, there, there's a couple, um, like, I believe it's like, it might be an adaptation or belong to the world. I can't remember exactly, but there's some where you really hear like why he was getting these Michael Jackson, uh, you know, comparisons because he's really pitching his voice up at times. He's kind of going for these like little like sounds that really like mm-hmm. harken back to Michael. And it felt like yeah. in some way he was kind of trying to like welcome those, which, you know, it's, there are worse things than to align yourself with Michael Jackson as a vocalist, but um, the songs just weren't there on this and uh, obviously better times ahead, but yeah, just a, a fine first album, but really not what he was hoping for after these mixtapes really popped off and grabbed so much attention. Um, I heard that you, you said no one likes this, So I'm guessing there's not really much on here that feels worth talking to you about. No, especially in totality of the weekend's career. But I remember, at the time, p- people just weren't really vibing with it because, like you said, just the songs aren't there. Yeah, you can put it on. It's not dog shit by no means, but it's just <laughs> like, when would you ever want to listen to Kissland tracks compared to anything else he's made? Like, never, you know? However, notable, Drake is featured on Kissland on the song uh, Live for. for. And at the time, you, you can go check it out, listen to the clip of Drake talking to Elliot Wilson. No beef. They did not have beef, even if things got a little cold between them around this time. But it, it, it's just funny because, like, I, I think Drake was probably at the time really laughing because it's like, man, you you didn't do it. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and this album actually notably it didn't go number one. You you would have thought it, it the weekend was already becoming a huge star, but actually it didn't. This went number two, ninety six thousand first week in the trilogy re release, I should say did 86,000 first week, number four. So The weekend had a big profile at this point, post the Take Care run, but he still wasn't truly the superstar yet. That, that, that would take until beauty, obviously. Yeah, I mean, as of our recording, all, every uh, album from him has gone platinum except for this one. <laughs> you know, this one's still only gold and, and silver, depending on the... Which tells uh, you that no one's streaming it. Yep. So people aren't coming back to this one. People aren't finding it. And, you know, like we said, songs just aren't there. Uh, Then, you know, just a a few years later. Yeah, I think this is where you can say, like, the breakthrough really happens into more mainstream for the weekend with Beauty Behind the Madness. 
Yeah, so so I would so Beauty Behind the Madness comes out in August 2015. I would really put the breakout though the year prior, 2014, basically the year between Kissland and Beauty. I think that is the true like weekend ascent and the anticipation for Beauty. Uh, you know, it's manifesting like those first week sales where he does 412,000 first week with Beauty, his first number one. But the buildup really started with 2014. You can just like listen to this run that he has here. Just like throughout throughout the course of 2014, he releases the Drunken Love Beyonce remix from like the, it's like the male perspective of Drunken Love. He does that. He hops on Ariana Grande's uh, second album, second first, second album, Love Me Harder, huge track, really a big moment for Ariana, I think, getting her into more uh, explicit material there. He releases the promotional single, King of the Fall, which really gets uh, the hype and anticipation going for uh, Beauty, King of the Fall, a non-album track, but still a track better than anything on Kissland, like really get people hyped. Uh, I think one, perhaps a bit unremarked, but one of my favorite moments of this time is the Orna remix from The Weeknd, Ty Dolla Sign song featuring Wiz Khalifa. And you have The Weeknd doing the remix where it's like perhaps the most explicit R-rated shit he's ever said. The song's incredible. Uh, two more things here. The, most, the least famous of, of them all, because it's non-streaming, he releases a cover of R. Kelly's Down Low performs it live at this time it doesn't actually get released in full until 2017 when drake does it on ovo sound radio check this out on youtube the weekend covering r kelly's down low it's incredible and then of course at the very end of the year december 2014 he releases earned it off the 50 shades of gray soundtrack a song that would win him a grammy and became a monster hit um 2014 was this crazy year for the weekend and then beauty you could see it in those first week record sales the hype was just so high for that album yeah and you know you you uh, first of all earned it is is really i think the moment where it's like okay he's he's really like gone up a level in terms of fandom in terms of just star power in general getting uh even say what you want about 50 shades of gray it was a bit of a phenomenon at that time uh the book bestseller mm-hmm. uh very much in the zeitgeist and the movie was highly anticipated even if those movies ended up being absolute crap. Um, you know, the, this album drops end of end of the summer, um, August twenty eighth, twenty fifteen, and he hi, uh, headlines or is a second row headliner at Lollapalooza that summer as well. So really, mm-hmm. kind of getting that like he he is arisen. He is his star is on the up and up at this point, and then we finally get Beauty Behind the Madness and. Dave, I mean, looking back at it now, do you feel like this album holds up? What was it like listening back to it? Yeah, so I really dug the album at the time, and I have a lot of songs on it that I, I do really enjoy. I think there's a really strong six songs on this album. Yeah. And obviously it's buoyed by two of the biggest hits of his career, The Hills and Can't Feel My Face. His two song, his first two songs to go number one. They didn't debut there, but his first songs to make it to number one. And uh, I mean, now the Hills is what one point, almost one point five billion on Spotify. Uh, I think that's like top seventy all time on the, and he has higher songs. But like this is you know those songs right there. It's like he was all over the radio following up, earned it, which was there as well. And 
that being said, I think like the, the lead single though, often, which is, you know, it's very, another very explicit sex jam from, from Abel, but that really got people going. Cause it's like, fuck now this is, this is some early weekend. This is, this is houses of blues. This ain't kiss land, you know? And uh, on the deep cut side of things, I really enjoy real life a lot. I love his performance on that. I always like losers. I really like tell your friends. I think it's a really strong record with, with, with some deep cuts on it, even if overall it's, it's a little long, but I think that that core six right there is really tight. Yeah. I mean, th- this guy was dropping hour long mixtapes. So the albums didn't, didn't really get cut down much. And that, that I think is a bit of a trademark for the weekend, right? Is mm. in a, uh, generation when music was increasingly moving towards shorter songs and shorter tracks he was like no i make five to seven minute tracks exclusive <laughs> that's it and I'll, I'll make a, a three minute banger here and there but he for a while he was just like unrelenting in terms of the length of a lot of these songs but yeah no i i think you're i think the way you described it is, is perfect i don't uh, th- there's a lot of songs of this i'm not gonna ever go back to but well, the I ones agree. that do hit really really hit and it's just like unbelievable to listen to you know like you said can't feel my face in the hills are obviously the highlights but acquainted uh stands out to me that was i think one of the singles one of the last singles off of this mm-hmm. um often you mentioned is a really good one tell your friends i really like yeah well, what other songs off this did, did, did you like what were what rounded up the yeah. six yeah i think i think that run in the start real life losers tell your friends off in the hills acquainted can't feel my face like that's that's really good and then you still have earned it later. Um, you know, Ed, Ed Sheeran and Lana songs. I, I honestly, I forgot those songs existed, to be <laughs> honest. I had no memory of those because I like the other songs so much. Yeah, you know, it was it was really funny, like listening through. And I wasn't really like like checking out the the titles of the songs I was going through. They hear they hear Ed Sheeran pop up. And I was like, what? Like just uh, totally caught me off guard. I actually didn't didn't totally hate Lana on it, but. I just was like, it's just unnecessary. Yeah. You know? I'd, I'd be honest, like Lana Del Rey and The Weeknd should have some better songs together because they, they really are like two peas in a pod, uh, aesthetically, sonically, lyrically. It, it all would make sense. They just don't really have that like signature collab to this point. It's probably a missed opportunity. No, I, I completely agree. And, you know, just to turn it back around to the, the album just a little bit more, what I really appreciate about this, and I think you touched on this, but I just wanted to kind of hammer home, is that there still is a lot of the DNA of who The Weeknd was when he first broke out on this. And even though he's making this push for more mainstream appeal at this point, and you can kind of tell from like the Fifty Shades of Grey song earned it, like you mentioned, and just some of the production on these songs, it still very much feels House of Balloons, Abel is still there. Um, but we're going to be moving into some, you know, some albums where it feels like he gets a little bit away from some of this. Um, so I, I think that's one of the things I admire most about this is his ability to really um, still remain true to a lot of what he originally wanted to be while still making music that was just more uh, palatable for larger audiences. So any last thoughts on this? Are you ready to move on? Uh, this album was nominated for album of the year and it did win best urban contemporary album at the grammys earned it had won uh a few things as well and then he won best urban contemporary album a second time for the next album album three starboy november 25th 2016 it dropped and this is what i was alluding to with 
uh, feeling like he loses himself a little bit in terms of like the mainstream push. And uh, Starboy, I think, has some songs that are worthy of coming back to. But I feel like it also has a lot of stuff that just does not feel like it fits into the overall um, weekend discography. And, uh, you know, just listening to it just feels way too poppy, um, way too like glitzy in the wrong ways. We're going to be talking about glitzy in the right ways for the weekend, I think, in a little bit. And just overall, mm-hmm. like, uh, not really my, my favorite stuff from him. Um, but on listening back, did you have the same response or were you a little bit surprised? Yeah, I think as a record, it's definitely his like least cohesive or at least interesting as an album. There's still some big tracks here, so there's still some fun deep cuts on here. But mm-hmm. as we said, he doesn't cut down the track list. And it really, I think, shows on Starboy. There's just a lot of fat on this one. And in this case, because the music's a little less interesting because this is his like at his most overtly pop leaning sound the bloat is like more noticeable than it was even on something like beauty so i i like some of the tracks i think obviously the daft punk uh uh, collaborations are notable and cool and the fact that daft punk would actually make music with him at all is like really really awesome cosign to see for someone like obviously there are tons of famous artists that would have loved to make music with Daft Punk and Daft Punk didn't couldn't care less but they made music with The Weeknd and even though I don't think the album kind of lives up to that hype on the other hand you know Starboy the 20th most streamed song on Spotify you know it's a monster track nonetheless it's just probably not the most interesting big hit yes definitely not but still I think the the Daft Punk produced ones really really stand out on this you know Starboy and feel it coming um which anchor the album start to finish um i think are definitely the two of the tracks that uh pop most to me on this but you know you mentioned that you had a couple of deep deep cuts on here and some other highlights so w- mm-hmm. what really stood out for you in terms of the tracks you liked yeah so i'd just say like i like attention i like alone lonely night but the three three other songs i i think are most worth going back to i think party monster is a lot of fun it's like like sonically it's like super poppy but i think lyrically it's still like old school weekend and then I re- i've always enjoyed reminder just because that's like a weekend hip-hop song you know he, he made the music video in that music video there's tons of rapper cameos including drake another sign that they, they didn't have any beef um then you have sidewalks which is another hit it's a fun song. I think the weekend performance is good. And the Kendrick verse is very funny because it's it, it's a bit of a meme. It's like, you know, Kendrick, maybe rapping about sex is not your forte. Maybe don't do that. But overall, I, I still like the song. Yeah, the, I have to say those are some of the least like, I don't know, offensive isn't the right word, but least like dislike tracks for me. Uh, in between Party Monster and Reminder, though, is False Alarm, which I think is just terrible <laughs> really some of his like probably least interesting and and most like blah work he's done on this um also you get a song with future later on which you know i didn't really hate until future came on that i just totally i just skipped to the next track just <laughs> something about it just didn't mesh well for me um but yeah you know just the, not many songs really popped off on this one too much for me i mean it it feels like he was, I don't really know. Like, I think he probably was approached or was able to like get some sort of collaboration with Daft Punk and then just really leaned into this. I mean, there's a lot of like Doc McKinney uh, 
production mm. on this, which maybe that was it. He was just like working with producers at that time that weren't really inspiring him in the right way. But yeah, not not a, not a lot of songs that really stay with me from this one. Right. Yeah. And again, I think that's okay when you've made as much music as you have. Someone's ne- you're, you're you're inevitably going to uh, let some people down. But I think it was really just a, a testament to his star power that even like an album like this that disappoints creatively still has these massive hits and these massive highs and songs that will always be on his set list when he performs. So by no means a, a, a failure. But I think this is kind of an interesting moment too, because this leads us to his uh, only like EP release since he became a star, which is My Dear Melancholy, which came out in uh, or, uh, March 2018. And this, I think, was another kind of like mini inflection point for true weekend fans because it reestablished people's faith in what kind of music the weekend's going to make much how like king of the falls promotional single got the distaste of kissland out of people's mouths and hype for beauty behind the madness established in this case my dear melancholy it's a brief ep it's a it's a fine ep there's there's definitely some memorable songs on it but most importantly lyrically sonically it reminds you once again of House of Balloons' era of the weekend and doesn't sound anything like Starboy, most importantly. And that just yeah. got people hyped. And then uh, uh, hyped. And you listen to it a little more and you have, um, was it Wasted Times? Is it the song that's kind of interpolating Selena Gomez lyrics to speak about his relationship? with selena gomez and of course the other songs some references to bella hadid it's like oh no the weekend's back on his savage shit with this this is exactly what we want yeah and you know i I think working with some really choice production on this too you know talking about how maybe the ones um starboy weren't as interesting he he does a couple tracks here with gasoffelstein which yeah you know just those are probably the two most memorable songs to me i was never there and hurt you right in the middle i mean when i was never there comes on it has that like siren like mm-hmm. right at the beginning you're like "Ooh, this is really some house of balloon shit right here like that it fits perfectly with his vibe and then hurt you it feels like a like a bridge almost between like the after hours weekend and that house of balloons weekend because it has a little bit of that like more poppy production but still dark and, and mm-hmm. like toned back which is nice totally and obviously that sets the stage for his feature of Lost in the Fire, the Gustafelstein single that came out a year later, a song that I like so much that it kind of colored my uh, reception to the weekend's performance off the Swedish House Mafia song, Moth Through a Flame, which came out at the end of uh, 2021. It's like, ah, no, you've already kind of, I think, hit your apex with uh, working with uh, DJs between Daft Punk and Gustafelstein. I don't think you got to keep doing this because I don't know if you can <laughs> hit these highs once again. But yeah, I think yeah. For, for like a, again, for like a, taster for the next era of your career my dear melancholy is such a big success because it did exactly what it needed to do which is shift fans attention and reorient their thoughts about where he's going with his creative direction so between this and the king of the fall promotional single it's like just two really smart moments in terms of like where he like signals how he's shifting his career and of course this leads us to uh, after hours which everyone's aware with because it was just an absolutely uh, massive record yeah after hours i mean we, we've talked about it check out our original review uh youtube.com slash nostalgia pod stay plug in but yeah after hours remains probably one of my favorite 
albums of this decade so far i mean we're mm-hmm. three years into it and uh, it was both of our number ones of 2020 yep. check check out that it's it's undeniable i mean even just like <laughs> listening to like listening through again there, there's barely a, a skip if any on the album yeah. and it just like it has so many moments and it kind of just keeps you on the hook over and over again that do you find something new almost every single time you listen through it totally and i think the uh the the sequencing on after hours is just so noticeable something that would continue with dawn fm where it's like it just sounds so good to listen to front to back that even if there are moments where it's like oh yeah well i kind of like the other song more than this it doesn't matter because the whole thing just sounds so precise and like that intentionality is just so exciting because it's such a far cry from what he was really doing on Starboy, which just didn't have that kind of cohesion. But after hours, I mean, it really is the kind of union of the two lanes of the weekend's career, the weekend's sound. You have the subject matter and the uh, intentionality of all of mixtape era weekend house balloons weekend but you still have the pop appeal and the broad you know mainstream uh leaning sound of beauty and he actually was able to manage both of these things without sacrificing for either of them and that's i think why why it was so successful because it can please both parties it can can please the casual fan and it can please like the hardcore fan the weekend who had been with him for 10 years to that point and I mean, there, there's just so many fucking tracks on this. So many tracks. Um, you know, just even like looking at it uh, and scrolling through again, I'm like, oh yeah, I, I really love that song. <laughs> you know, I like Snow Child is just excellent. You know, Give her Philip excellent. K. Dick. <laughs> um, but then, you know, you have uh, probably one of my favorite on this, which is uh, obviously In Your Eyes, but Save Your Tears back to back. Yeah. Um, earlier on you get heartless and faith i mean faith is faith is my fucking jam still the kick drum on that when he when the hook starts if i od i want you to od right beside me just a classic weekend line too but the beat's fucking incredible you know something we haven't really talked about too much is just like his appearance right it's always been kind of distinct you know the hairstyles have always been right really uh singular um, and I remember when when he first kind of was breaking out, how there was like talk about how he's maybe not like your traditional like front man. He was a bit more reserved. He's, you know, he had this right. like withdrawn personality. Even like when he first came up, a little bit like on the chubbier side for what we would traditionally consider like a, you know, R and B artist at that time. Chris Brown showing off the abs, Usher showing off the abs all the time. And he, I feel like on this album, not only did he really blend that persona and that artist that he was from house of balloons and that he truly i think is underneath all this but with with the pop appeal that he wants to be able to have and to get his music out there but he also i think really found something in terms of how he presents himself physically you know he go he really leans into the fear and loathing vibe with this you know kind of mimicking some of that on the music videos he got and he kind of uses that like dark underbelly of las vegas to like Mm. anchor all the promotion around this and it just fits so perfectly and it's all so memorable and i just really impressed going back to that like singular idea that he had on like house balloons and what he was trying to do on a lot of his records this is just a fully formed idea from start to finish and he executed it perfectly yeah totally and then he was rewarded for it blinding lights Mm -hmm. setting the record 
in the top 10 Billboard Hot 100 for an entire year, remained on the chart for 90 weeks straight. Crazy record. It is the second most streamed song on Spotify, approaching 3 billion. It'll probably pass Shape of You and become the most streamed song on Spotify. It's just kind of kind of wild how long the run was for Blinding Lights. Perhaps that's pandemic-aided. Uh, you know, came out right as pandemics. Actually, no, it was released as a single before the pandemic. The album comes out right as the pandemic starting, and then TikTok aided though for sure. Yeah, and then just it just it just remained, you know, just mm-hmm. like how Dua remained for like the same run too. They both released at that time, and um, obviously, I think most people think the songs played out and don't really want to listen to it these days. But it's just an amazing uh, success story, and it's a really good song. Obviously, yeah, I completely agree. Um... You know, it's it's kind of funny to think about, right? Because, uh, you know, as we're recording this, it's in 2022. We're you know now in the endemic stage of the COVID-19 pandemic, but this very much felt like part of the soundtrack of like early pandemic because it was all over TikTok. It was a huge trend. Um, the weekend is literally being anointed everywhere, becoming the most popular artist in the world. And the Grammys are like, nah, bro, this ain't good enough for us. We don't want to recognize this. We don't want to give you <laughs> your shine. It's just like, you know, we, we, we talked recently about how the Grammys, have, the, the show this year moved in the right direction, some, some nice choices in terms of who won. This is probably still one of the biggest black marks that they'll ever have. You know, the, this record not getting any recognition. Yeah, well, it just doesn't make any sense. You know, first off, they had rewarded and nominated the weekend before we had mentioned that he had won Grammys to this point. But it just felt so weird that, like, why isn't After Hours getting any love? Like, I know the Grammys are a bit of like an artsy group, you know, that that's just the membership. That's how it works. And it doesn't mean it has to win, but it was just such a surprising omission to not be nominated. It's not, not that the Grammys need to be like the MTV Music Awards. Blinding Lights being super big doesn't mean it needs to be nominated. That's not how it works. But critically, the love was also there. So what what's missing? And obviously, the Grammys talked about their, you know, the secret secret nominating committees are no more things like that. But the weekend has said he does not want to be submitted for Grammys moving forward. We'll see what happens when uh, Dawn FM is up for the Grammys in 2023 if he still holds that because he assumingly would be up for more Grammys once again, TBD there, but just a really unforced error on the Grammys part. It just doesn't really make much sense because there was just so much critical love for this record. It doesn't make any sense. It's seriously black mark in my opinion, but to, to kind of get back to the album and what made it successful, I mean, talked about the, the production choices on past albums. You got Max Martin all over this, man. Yep. I mean, you want to make a hit record, get Max Martin on it, but you also have Metro Boomin in a lot of places. Um, Il Angela, which is just a great a producer name. So uh, definitely, I think him working with some people that are uh, more fitting for what he's trying to accomplish, seeing that that success. All right, Dave. And then just recently, we talked about Dawn FM uh, dropping in January 2022. Again, talking about that physical appearance looking like a haggard old man for the <laughs> release of this and for the promotion of this and uh only a few months removed i mean any like 
any new thoughts or any like lasting thoughts from Dawn FM for you? Yeah, it's interesting. Obviously, we reviewed it extensively. Check that out, youtube.com, so Nostalgia Pod. But it always felt so soon, so sudden, because even though After Hours had come out nearly two years prior, Blinding Lights is such a long tail, as we said, that didn't feel like a new weekend album was needed. I mean, he had just done the Super Bowl halftime show. Surely he would use a break, but no, the pandemic uh, kept those creative juices going. And I think it's a really impressive record for its sonic cohesion. You know, he is working with a lot of the same producers as Blinding Lights. You know, the Max Martin team is here once again. And Dawn FM is not as overtly like poppy as some of uh, the Blinding Lights hit or the After Hours hits are, but it's like really cohesive and still really has a uh, impressive vision. So it's funny, like I, you know, this album didn't actually debut at number one. It had no promotional uh Psycho, which contributed to it, of course, no physical sales at launch. It did like 140 something first week. It actually just narrowly got edged out by Gunna, beating him for number one. And I feel like that kind of like notion is kind of carried on where a lot of these songs have been sticking around, like um, like Sacrifice, uh, most probably most notably for me. But I think overall, like none of these songs have really taken off as like signature singular hits in on their own. But the overall album, Dawn FM, is still pretty pretty impressive and interesting. I'm curious to see how the upcoming uh, after, after, hour, after Hours the Dawn stadium tour that he's about to embark on, combining the two, a new idea for him. I'm curious to see how that works, because this definitely feels like a endnote in a certain sense to After Hours, but doesn't seem to have the uh, individual songs to take away and revisit quite as much as After Hours does. Yeah, I, I think you're, you're spot on there with like the cohesion as an album is really impressive. Obviously going for a more like 80s feel, you know, there's certain tracks like you mentioned, uh, like Sacrifice has that like distorted guitar kind of reminds you of like Eye of the Tiger, some stuff like that. Or like later on, you get some uh, really interesting, I think, choices. <laughs> um, you know, heard you were mar- I heard you were married just... Little Wayne popping on that is like kind of a moment, but also like the track just also kind of similar to like the one with the future and the uh, for which album Beauty Behind the Madness or whatever right. it was yep. is just like oh okay just popping up on nowhere. You also get a Tyler feature on this quick, but yeah, it's it's like really exploring that like pop eighty sound and it does sound really good, but it doesn't reach the highs of After Hours for me, um, and I think it doesn't have the singular like song highs of beauty behind the madness but it's uh definitely gonna be interesting like you said to see how it plays out um do you have do you have like a song that listening back you really were like ooh, that really is like Hmm. a track that i maybe overlooked last time Hmm, i don't know that overlooked but i really do enjoy uh how do i make you love me like the hook on that is like really catchy and it, it almost feels like like uh easy for the weekend to make a song like that after we've heard after hours but i think it's still really really nice yeah i i, I think for me it's probably is there someone else you know it's got that like toned up sample in the beginning and then it just sounds like a like the most the closest mix between his like older stuff and this new 80s sound he's exploring right um don't break my heart though is kind of interesting it feels very like i don't know like aerobics 80s kind of but not my 
not my favorite, but it definitely caught my ear listening through. All right. Why don't we get onto the rankings? That's enough talking about the career. We're going to go from nine to one, because uh, I guess we're going to mention melancholy on here, right? Which I just kind of put at the end only because mm-hmm. I was like, it's not really an album. It's not a mixtape. It's just kind of like a few tracks, but yeah. Um, you know, so I put that one at number nine, but just in terms of like actual quality, I think there's a lot of quality on that. And I want to say, I don't think any of these are like bad albums for me, but what do you have at number nine for you? Uh, well, I have Kissland, obviously, because <laughs> I don't like yeah. any songs on Kissland. <laughs> Kissland is my number eight. For, so what, what's yeah. your eight? Yes, I think that that's kind of obvious. I feel like the aggregate, if you pulled everyone, Kissland's going to be at the bottom. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I, so I have my dear mom, I live further up. So for my, my eight for me is echoes of silence actually. And my seven would be Thursday. Um, and it's like, I, like I said, I feel like we have admiration for this run and the time. And I mentioned like the whole, the whole year of 2011 really for the weekend. It's like such a major thing. But if you take apart the individual albums, I feel like I actually, uh, obviously I like House Balloon so much more and I just have these kind of at the bottom just because I feel like um, whether it's just really amazing highs on future releases or albums I really like a lot more, um, I actually end up having them towards the bottom, which, you know, not that they're bad at all, but that's where they are. Yeah, so I have Starboy at seven and um, then I have Echoes of Silence and Thursday at uh, six and five respectively. Mm-hmm. And uh, I see that you have the same thing. Starboy yeah. is your number five. five. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So we have the so, same grouping still. Yeah. I think it's important to talk about for me, why I, I could did that way. Starboy, as I mentioned in our breakdown of it, just feels like the least cohesive of any of the albums. And um, the songs really don't last with you much beyond the, the Daft Punk ones, at least for me. So I just really felt like it couldn't get, go any higher than seven. Yeah. And Thursday night, cause the silence, even though it doesn't reach the, house of balloons highs i think it's still a more cohesive project each one um and obviously right. yeah, bringing it together fair. a trilogy i think buoys it a bit so um so what, what's in your your b tier here what would be your number four yeah so four for me i have my dear melancholy just mm-hmm. because i think it's a, for what it is it's like super effective like i said the meta meta implications of getting the Starboy taste out of your mouth and getting you hyped for after hours totally successful but i just really love how toxic he got on this because it was a really re- return to for a return to old school uh weekend so that, that's why i have uh i have my dear melancholy at four yeah my, my four was beauty behind the madness um i was really going back and forth between that and dawn fm you know, I, I could probably still be talked into flipping them. Um, mm-hmm. I think for me, it, I, I have Dawn FM at three, a little bit higher than Beauty Behind the Madness, only because similar to the Starboy and then uh, Echoes of Silence and Thursday um, rankings, I see uh, Beauty Behind the Madness is a less cohesive album with higher yeah, highs and Dawn FM is more cohesive sounding project. So, um, but yeah, though, I think clearly our tiers are very similar um, at yep. having those two together. Yeah, so then for me, I have Dawn FM 4, Beauty 3. And even though I think Dawn FM is a more cohesive record, I just like more of the cuts individually on Beauty. So I think it's really a question of like process and uh, semantics of how you actually evaluate something because that's clearly two sides of the coin is what yeah. do you like to actually listen to? Or what do you, what, what are you impressed with critically more? So it's, you can take in either direction. And we, we both did opposite directions there. 
Um, yeah. But I mean, I feel like the the top four is pretty hard to argue with in some order, Completely whatever agree. order you have. Yeah. Well, actually, I would say the top four is is set in stone or very hard to argue with. But then I think the top two is kind of hard to argue to. But then I think absolutely. It's like, how how are you going to like decide this? Um, and we ha- we actually have a flip, which is nice. So I have House of Balloons at two, and uh, After Hours at one. You have the opposite, right? Yeah, and you know I struggle with this. I think you know over the months, over the years, I, I since After Hours has come out, I've like changed my like internal self opinion of this over time, and I think it's just one of those things where I mean I, I put House of Balloons on my best albums of the decade the 2010s 2010s were already finished when i made that decision it's like it's really a lofty exclamation i feel like i kind of have to stick with it you know but the but after hours is such an impressive record for also giving you moments to take away but also you know molding the two eras as i said of the weekend the early stuff and the pop stuff and then making both of them successful together so uh there's really no issue with having after hours one in my opinion i feel like these these are the clearly the two best things he's done yeah and and again i i could probably be talked into flipping on this one as well i I just think after hours is kind of his masterpiece and that like elusive like how do i make a fully formed album that is uh conceptually in line with who he is as an artist but then also has the pop uh leanings and and really just like captured the zeitgeist and obviously what i think he'll be remembered for uh by the masses but house of balloons is like that low-key like it's like it's like college dropout versus my mm. beautiful dark twisted fantasy right. kind of thing it's like it's a classic yeah, the, yeah it's a classic so uh it can't really go wrong and i think the the takeaway is just like the weekend's a really good artist man like yeah. just <laughs> plain to say but couldn't be truer he's he's excellent Yep, and if you're interested in other rankings, we talked about his Toronto contemporary Drake. We ranked that. Obviously, Drake has many albums to discuss as well in his relationship to The Weeknd, so check out those rankings. We have rankings on Anderson Pock, Todd the Creator, mm-hmm. Brockhampton, J. Cole, uh, as well as movie movie directors, Quentin Tarantino and Wes Anderson. I believe that's all our rankings, and more to come, of course, so make sure you subscribe. And Kanye, dog. Oh, of course. How can I forget? <laughs> the most popular uh, of all of them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Check those out. We'll be back next week with a regular show. Um, but drop us your thoughts below. What's your number one weekend album? We'll talk to you soon. Yeah.